we can just jump right into it. Um, Got it. I want to focus on happiness for this segment. So you say your definition of happiness is if you can enjoy the consistent, persistent, every day without quit pursuit of your potential, you can be happy. How did you, um, how did that definition come about for you? Well, it started in my journey of wanting to be a professional football player. And the reason is, is because I don't have quantum potential to be an NFL star. Uh, in fact, I don't even look like an athlete, although I am the best athlete in my family. Uh, I always say you get more accolades for making a high school team in my family than going to Harvard and graduating summa cum laude. That's the genetic makeup or the quantum nature of my genetic and energetic inheritance. And so because I wanted to be a professional football player, I learned since I was five years old to enjoy the consistent every day, persistent without quit pursuit of my own potential. I learned not to listen to what other people thought. They laughed at me, mocked at me, made fun of me, not to look at what's missing, those negative voices, the fear, not to look at what I didn't want, but I focused consistently on that. And I did everything I could with the desire that I must be what I can be. And in the end, what I realized was the closest I came to my potential was an average division three college football player, not an NFL superstar, but the lesson of that happiness, of understanding that Chris Gardner and Will Smith had it wrong in their movie. There is no pursuit of happiness. But what I learned through that journey was happiness is the pursuit. And so as long as I knew my what, my who, my how, and my now, knowing what to prioritize, what's important to me, and applying my why, not looking for my why, but applying my why, I could achieve happiness every single day with moments and minutes of ego-based consciousness getting in the way. But majority of my time is spent making a lot of money, helping a lot of people and having a lot of fun. Absolutely. Um, and that is in alignment with Buddha's definition of happiness as well. Happiness is the path. How does one figure out what path they should be on? We got to try a lot of things, right? You got to have a lot of pain, struggles, setback, failures, and mistakes in your life. You have to live in the learning zone where there are pain. And what you have to do, though, is have a relationship with those mistakes, failures, setbacks, et cetera. See, pain to me is an indicator. It's an indicator I have a lesson to learn. And if I learn the lesson, it's going to propel me to something better, a better situation, or make my situation better. Where many people see setbacks, failures, and pain as a stop sign telling you you're going the wrong way. And it stops you from getting what you want. See, having that relationship and understanding that we're constantly angling to what we want. You need to have the law of gravity to be happy where we're at. We're at the right place at the perfect time. That we are happy, healthy, wealthy, and worthy. What are we doing to interfere with it? Then use the law of Goya, G-O-Y-A, to get off our ass and clear the interference between us and what we already are. You see, we are connected to the greatest source of power, omniscient source of energy, an unlimited infinity of power and energy and, and answers. And what we need to do is figure out what are we doing to interfere with it? Once I realized that there is this source that knows everything and is all powerful, omniscient, and it cares the same way about me that my parents cared about me and I care about my children, that faith allowed me to enjoy the consistent, persistent pursuit of my potential with the ability to be what I must be. Right. I think that uh, that requires a level of introspection and really reflecting back on your life, um, thinking about yourself in the present moment. How do you do that um, and be uncomfortable voluntarily and not gravitate towards pleasure, which is often conflated with happiness? 
well, you know, determined upon what your perspective or meaning that you give to pleasure, it determines whether or not that's a good thing or a bad thing. See, if pleasure is done through negative behavior in something that's going to aggregate or accelerate to create more resistance, like drugs or alcohol or some sort of artificial interference that we deem a meaning of happiness to. But for me, it's understanding five simple daily practices that allow me to, number one, know what I want personally experientially giving and receiving wise two, to know who I can help with what I want and who can help me every morning. When I wake up, I have a prayer. May God put at least 10 people in front of me. I can help. And may he put at least 10 people in front of me that can help me three know how, and that requires the mathematical equation of faith or luck, which says what I'm going to pay attention to today what I'm going to give intention to, what I think, say, do, believe, understanding my personality traits, characteristics, obsessions, and, addiction, and addictions that make up my genetic and energetic inheritance that make up my quantum being. If I know my what, my who, and my how, now I can figure out my now. I can prioritize things by what's most important to me. And utilizing urgency as a subset from Eisenhower's matrix of important versus urgency, I determine what's most important with urgency as a subset, not as a leader, but a subset of what I want to do. See, if I know my what, my who, my how, my now, I can then understand and apply my why by identifying what I'm afraid of. And when it occurs, the needs of the ego, the primal needs of fight, feed, flight, and fornicate, uh, to have a need to be right, separate, inferior, superior, anxious, frustrated, angry, guilty, resentful, all of these different things that get in my way of what? What I am, who can help me, who I can help, how to get it done, and doing things now. I apply my why. And if you want those five daily practices, I'll send them to all your listeners, david at dmelter.com. Happy to send you the five daily practices that changed my life. Appreciate that. Um, I'm curious to hear about how that came about uh, or how you learned those uh, those values. And because the way you explain things, it really is it's, it's, it's a lot of actionable steps. But I'm curious to hear how you learned that yourself. So for me, it was the desire to be rich <clears throat> through playing football and learning those lessons and then becoming a mathematician. Uh, see, I started realizing that life was about lessons. The lessons would keep on coming until I learned them and pain would indicate when I had a lesson to learn. The interesting thing of how this all codified itself into a pragmatic step-by-step -step procedure in a variety of different areas of my life is that I realized that it wasn't good enough to learn the lesson. That one thing I learned about lessons, a lesson about lessons, is that I would forget every single lesson I've ever learned. Man, I've been to a lot of school college, graduate school, law school. I've been through a lot of school. I don't remember shit. <laughs> I apologize for my poor language, but I don't remember anything. And so one of the greatest lessons is, okay, if I'm going to forget every lesson that I've ever learned, including my greatest lesson of, gra of gratitude, if I'm going to forget it, then why not start codifying and creating systems to access the lessons that I've learned, even access now through technology, lessons that I haven't learned. You know, Google, I was involved in one of the first natural language search engines for legal research online in 1992. But beyond that, Google's done a fantastic job of allowing us to access lessons. And so through this understanding, I tell people when I speak, get your pens and paper out, get your notepads out, get your laptops out, and make sure that you write down the lessons that resonate with you. But moreover, 
also create a system to access what you've learned here. I can't tell you how many times I give a speech, people line up literally for over an hour to thank me. And I'll say, they're like, oh, you changed my life. Such a great speech and impacted me so heavily. And I say, well, what was it I said that impacted you so greatly? And they look at me and they like, uh, I don't know. I'm like, you better start codifying and creating a system to access it. Absolutely. Um, information is fleeting. Uh, as as is inf- inspiration, um, I do want to circle back on pleasure and happiness. So they're often conflated. Uh, could you speak on your perspective when you realized pleasure wasn't happiness? Because I've heard you mention when you were around thirty, you had everything you wanted, and you weren't happy. If you could kind of elaborate on that. Sure. Well, I tried to make things that other people don't think as pleasurable, pleasurable. But yes, I put it into the context of three worlds: born into a world of not enough, everything happened to me. I was a victim. There was not enough of anything for me. Then I moved to that world when I was 30, multimillionaire, and I had access to everything that I wanted. And I was buying things because I believe money was pleasure. Money bought me happiness, bought me love. And I thought that to be true because everything from the time I graduated law school till that point indicated to me that money bought happiness and love. So when I was unhappy, I would use that pleasure principle that you're stating to buy happiness, cars. I buy more cars. I buy different cars. I buy houses, more cars. I spend money to be happy. I buy different things to be happy. I buy more things to be happy. I buy things to impress people. I would buy things to impress people I didn't even like. This pleasure principle, which you want to reconcile with happiness, it determines upon the meaning that you give it. See, money meant to me happiness. So I would look at my bank account and if it went up, I was happy. And if it went down, I wasn't. And so once I decided that I give meaning to everything that I see, that money was still important. We live in the currency of money, an object of energy that we put into the flow to get what we want. But instead of thinking that it automatically bought things to make me happy, even if I didn't need them, or even if it was meant to press people I didn't like, I now instead utilize the currency of money to buy things for the right reasons. See, money allows you to shop. And if you shop for the right things for the right reasons, the pleasure principle applies. You will be happy. You will be applying the currency to the right things at the right time for the right reasons. And that will buy you happiness in essence. But beyond that currency, it needs to be reconciled with the other currency, the currency of thoughtfulness, faith. Faith is a currency. It's an object of energy that you put into a flow so that when pain, setbacks, failure, mistake, separation, and ego create interference between you and this all-powerful, omniscient pleasure, the source of all, then you can go ahead and learn something and get to a better place, a better position. And so pleasure and joy and happiness are interrelated, but it's determined upon why, what and how you have control of your mindset, your heart set and the pragmatic principles that you live by. You give meaning to everything you see. Absolutely. Um, And lastly, I want to close out with the clip that I saw on your Instagram that really, I I thought it was really interesting the way you explained um, how you can manifest a red Ferrari. I think my listeners would really enjoy um, that explanation, if you don't mind. Yeah. So initially... I always thought a red Ferrari was one of the biggest mistakes that I made, Uh, but I wanted to manifest a Ferrari. And so I have a principle of possibility to probability to perspective. And so how you manifest anything, including a red Ferrari, is one, put your attention and your intention into the red Ferrari. 
Uh, and so the minute you think about what you want and the more detailed you get with it, the more clear, balanced and focused you get on it, the more confidence the coincidence will occur. You may not know how you get it. You may think in your mind and what you want to do is not attached to the outcome, but you, what you want to do is attach your emotions to the journey into enjoying the pursuit of that red Ferrari. But the minute you think about the red Ferrari, it goes from zero chance of getting the red Ferrari into a possibility, a true statistical advantage over not thinking that you can have it. The minute you think you can have it, it's a possibility. Now, when you become clear, balanced, and focused and confident that you can get that Ferrari, you now are inspired. You're in spirit. You've cleared the interference between you and the red Ferrari. So the, the road is clear for that Ferrari. You now have another statistical advantage. You have gone from a possibility to a probability. And once you're, you're uh inspired how do we make that probability your perspective or your reality through discipline through strategy and through awareness and those five daily practices and utilizing the control of your mindset heart set and the conscious continuum utilizing time and time management of being a student of your calendar with lenses of productivity accessibility and gratitude asking for help receiving and giving help understanding accessibility, accessing what you want and being accessible to others. But most importantly, using the superpower of gratitude to find the light, the love and the lessons in all your pursuits of the red Ferrari. Once you think about the red Ferrari, boom, possibility. When you get clarity, balance and focus and confident that you can get it, you're inspired probability. Once you use the discipline to enjoy the consistent, persistent pursuit of your potential with that desire that you must be what you can be nothing's going to stop you from getting it with the strategy and the awareness your probability will become your perspective you can manifest anything that you want by utilizing the possibility to probability to perspective uh, strategy that i've created and i'm happy to send that to people as well once again just email me david at dmeltzer.com awesome um how do you personally not get deterred by external stimuli that doesn't necessarily align with maybe you know uh, your your narrative? I don't. What I try to do is spend minutes and moments in that interference. See, I use time as a superpower, knowing that the man-made construct of time, the 24 hours that we're given, that's determined by the speed of light, 186,000 miles per second, is different than the speed of thought. And so I use the faster vibrating, the higher frequency of the speed of thought, my higher power of thinking in order to effectuate only spending minutes and moments in the doubt, the fear, the separation, the anxiety, the worry, the guilt, the resentment that creates the interference, that creates resistance, that takes the thing that I want further away from me. And so when I come to the realization that it will be omnipresent, that resistance, I then instead fight it with time by saying to myself, I'm not going to focus in on what I don't want, what's missing, what other people want from me. I'm not going to spend days, weeks, months, and years I'm only going to spend minutes and moments in the ego-based consciousness that creates the resistance, void shortages and obstacles that I blame for the interference of what I want. Right. Um, it is sort of difficult to manage emotions. And I know we're running short on time, but is there an active sort of component? Um, you said you stay in the ego-based consciousness, consciousness temporarily. What value do you derive from it? Does it motivate you to get out of it? So it's funny because ego-based consciousness can be motivating. 
uh, meaning it'll get you up, get you back up, get you started and get you back started. But it's, 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 it literally is a soul sucker. So you have to be able to transform that quickly, utilizing the practice of ending fear in order to effectuate inspiration in spirit, which will get you there. See, motivation gets you up, gets you back up, gets you started, gets you back started. Inspiration will get you there. So what I do is identify that ego-based consciousness, the need to be right, offended, separate, inferior, superior, anxious, frustrated, guilty, angry, worried, whatever it is. And instead of fighting it, instead of trying to go over it, under it, through it, around it, oversell it, back end sell it, manipulate, lie, and cheat, what I do is simply stop. I stop and breathe through my nose, out through my mouth, and drop down to center, to neutral, to my higher self. And then I remind myself, recollect and remember all symbols of oneness to what? My what, my who, my how, and my now, allowing me to apply my inspiration, my why, to what I want, increasing the statistical success through efficiency, effectiveness, and through productivity, accessibility, and gratitude. Utilizing the stop, drop, and roll methodology by understanding when my mind and body and soul are on fire with ego-based consciousness, you got to stop, drop, and roll to get to where you want to be. Always a pleasure having you on, sir. Um, I'm super excited for your show this Friday, Office Hours on Prime Video. Um, Anything else you want to let the listeners know where they can find you and yeah, anything else? Yeah, best way to reach out to me if you want my ebook, audiobook, want me to sign a book and send it to you, pay for shipping in the book, give you the five daily practices or anything that I talked about to help. All you got to do, I give five minutes to anyone, is email me, david at dmeltzer.com. Thank you so much. Be kind to your future self and do good deeds. Yes, sir. Thank you.